Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here once again. We are going to start the book of Zechariah with a few preliminaries. Uh, one, I was thinking, we finished Haggai last week, Haggai chapter 2, and I was re- thinking about it as, you know, as I was going home and in, during the evening, and it talked about, uh, in chapter, we talked about Zerubbabel being the signet ring and God is going to do some shaking. I'm going to read it again, Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. The word of the, word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms and overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. And that's talking about the overthrowing of nations, again, starting in the heavenlies and then manifesting on the earth. Again, that obviously takes place eschatologically, and it's referred to earlier in chapter 2, eschatologically, even confirmed by the writer of Hebrews. But then it goes on, very uh, the next verse, verse 23, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, uh, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. In other words, he's going to make sure the purpose of his gets done in the land of Judah, or the province of Judah. So the nations will be shaken, but Judah is established. And that's kind of what the book of Haggai, and especially Zechariah is about, is Judah. And we're going to see this again, the shaking of the nations coming up in Zechariah. And I'll show it to you here in the outline. But as we look at this, this is what he's saying he's going to do. He is actually going to be doing this, and we can actually see it, not exactly right here in 520 on the map, where Haggai and Zechariah, but you can see where this is heading. Xerxes is going to attack Greece, which is going to set up the Greeks for revenge. Artaxerxes is going to have a, a, a nice successful reign, but it's going to begin to decline. That's going to be Nehemiah's coming, helps get Judah established. And then here's the decline behind the board here of Persia, the rise of Greece, and then Alexander's coming right in this period right here, say 333, 332. And Alexander is, in a sense, potentially the one that's going to be the one that's shaking the nations. He was the one that, in Daniel's prophecy, it was Nebuchadnezzar, followed by Cyrus, then Alexander, and then the rise of Rome. So Daniel has already spoken of Alexander. This could be talking about using Alexander to do the shaking of the nations. Uh, Even Daniel writes that, or the, the, he's, the angel said to him, uh, I must go, you know, continue to fight against the prince of Persia, and after him the prince of Greece will arise. And that is probably, you know, that, at least that's got to be a consideration here because these verses to Zerubbabel seem more in context of being right then or developing out of this time period. As Judah's being established, the nations are going to be realigned, and Alexander is going to be the tool that's going to do that. And that will come up again later in the book of Zechariah. So just... Keep in mind, that may be referring to Alexander. I mean, it doesn't say it directly in there, and you're free to think about it, but if you're looking eschatologically, that's one thing. But if you're looking, where is that taking place in the return of the exiles? Well, it's taking place, is moving right into that here in the next 100 years, 200 years, uh, that's starting to take place. Okay, I also mentioned something about this on the page one of the notes last week. Uh, about the Persian Empire and the communication that they had with the provinces um, and the authority and, the again, the, the paperwork, if you would. But this is a map uh, of the Persian Empire, and therefore it was one example of a, a royal road, 
uh, going from Susa. Daniel writes from Susa at one time. And apparently, they're going to find out, apparently, they will find some records there in the book of Ezra. They go to Susa and find in the citadel there a record of Cyrus decreeing that Judah is to be a province and the temple is going to be rebuilt. They find that in Susa. Daniel was there. It's a chance they found it in Daniel's archive, Daniel's records. But that's Susa. And Sardis, uh, which you hear about in the New Testament, over there by Ephesus, the, the coast of Asia Minor, over on the west, just ready to enter into Europe. That's a 1,700-mile road. Uh, they could travel that in seven days. They could go from Susa to Sardis in uh, 520 B.C. Uh, with a letter in seven days. And that is because they had a fresh horse ready every 15 miles. They'd run that horse for 15 miles, switch horses, and run it. And I'm sure they're not getting, you know, like we get gas at come and go, depending on how you go to quick trip or come and go to get gas. Uh, you don't just run in, you know, roll through the gas pumps, fill it up, and keep rolling. You stop the car, you get out, you go get a beverage, you know, you look at the snacks, uh, depending on where you're at. I'm sure they had some kind of routine of when they had switch horses, uh, they would, and then there'd be a change of riders. One rider's not surely going to go that whole way. Uh, but they'd exchange horses quickly. They'd exchange riders when they needed to. And they could make that run in seven days uh, or anywhere and branch off of that to make communication. So when we think about the ancient world at this time in 520 B.C., uh, we've got to imagine that there is communication going back and forth. And when the Samaritans are going to file a lawsuit back in Persia against the province of Judah and the temple, it's not like necessarily months before it gets there. Uh, it could be a matter of, of days or weeks before it gets there and gets back with a response. Anyway, that's a nice little map to have. Uh, and I, I knew I had that, and I was thinking about it last week when I was talking, and I just bumped into it. I thought, well, I'm going to stick it right there. And that's, again, this is, what, this is the empire that the book of Haggai and Zechariah is taking place or being recorded. And uh, also Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther are all part of this empire. That's what it looks like. Now, the book of Zechariah, just a real quick overview. I want to get through the first six verses tonight, at least go through them, inter- introduce them. And uh, the, the, that first part... The first six verses, it's dated. If you would go to page four, and we're going to come back to page two here in a moment, you're going to see a chart that you're familiar with on the middle of page four. That's the dating of the messages coming out of Haggai. Uh, Haggai receives his first message on August 29th, uh, 520, and that message is, Build the Temple. He receives his second message on October 17th, 5.20. And that message is, uh, do not be discouraged. It doesn't look like much to you guys, but this is going somewhere. And it is. Judah's being rebuilt. We're heading into the New Testament age, the coming of the Messiah, which will lead to the eschatological events. And then the second message was December 18th. In fact, the last two messages were December 18th, 5.20. Uh, December 18th, that's when he says, you, you will be blessed. From this day forward, December 18th, 520, you're going to be blessed. The nations are going to start to be judged, but it, Judah is going to be blessed. And on that same date, December 18th, 520, the fourth message came 
to Zerubbabel that you are the signet ring. The nations are going to be shaken, but you are the signet ring of the Lord. He's going to put, use you to get the seal of approval on all the things he's going to do, or you are as close to him as a signet ring, however you want to interpret that. But things are going to get done for Judah because Zerubbabel is like a signet ring. Now, interestingly, the very first line, chapter 1 of Zechariah, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, and that happens to be right here, October 27th, 520 B.C. So this message, this very first message that we're going to read tonight eventually, comes between here, them saying, after saying, build the temple, Haggai says, do not be discouraged, this is going to amount to something, uh, you're going to hear this message, and basically, uh, what has happened to you people is a result of your forefathers' sin. You do not want to be like them. The, your forefathers are gone. The prophets who prophesied the message are gone. But you know what's still here? The Word. The Word that announced this disaster and the return, it's still living among you. And that's what this verse is. The, the, the kings are gone. The prophets are gone. Your forefathers are gone. But what was said to them, what has happened to them, what is still here is the Word is still with you. And then right here in December, you're going to be blessed and the job is going to get done. So that's when these first six verses take place. Look in chapter 1, verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, in the month of Sheba, now we're going to be in the new year. Now we're getting into, uh, I, I think it's February. I don't have it written on that calendar. I think it's February of 519. I'll show you another calendar that we've got there. And now, now we're going to start talking about the book of Zechariah taking place after this. But Zechariah begins his first message right in the middle of Haggai's message. And that's why Zachar, or he, uh, Ezra, and I'll show you the verses, twice mentions uh, the prophet Haggai and Zechariah speaking to the people and encouraging them. So there's that chart, kind of puts a, a perspective on that right there. Now go back to page two, oh, page one. And here is, well, we should do this. Go to page two, two and three. This is just cut and pasted right out of the framework textbook. Uh, and you can see the year 536 coming all the way down. Uh, if you want to go right to the bottom of page 2, there's the year 520 B.C. that we've been in for a while. The two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, minister in Jerusalem. August 29th, the word of the Lord comes to Haggai. And there's all the dates of all those things all being mentioned there. And then February 519, February 9th, or February 15th, in one night, in, on February 15th, February 15th, 519. Now, this is not the only time you're going to hear this. You're going to probably hear this for the next three months because in one night, Zechariah is going to receive a, a series of eight visions. And that's the first chapters of, of Haggai, or Zechariah. The chapters 1 through 6 are these eight visions, and they're each particularly addressing a situation given to him by God. Uh, he began during the ministry of Haggai saying, uh, the word is still here, everybody else has gone away, but what God said was going to happen has happened, and what he is saying is going to happen is definitely going to take place. And then these eight visions, and that's the first six chapters. Uh, on this calendar, I just want you to put this, again, it's just fun, I think, to see this in perspective. We're in the year 520. If you go back to the top of that calendar or that time chart, you go to 536 B.C., just 16 years before, 
We're going back here from 520 back to 536, right in here. Uh, you know, 539 is when Cyrus conquered Babylon, and they were set, set back in 538. But in 536, the, an angel comes to Daniel after he had fasted for three weeks, and Daniel receives his final revelation that he records in 536. Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 are taking place right here in 536. Uh, Zerubbabel has returned, or they're returning. Joshua's returning. They're, getting, they're laying the foundation of the temple right here, or building the altar, laying the foundation, and they're being discouraged, and they quit building. But even while they're started and being discouraged, Daniel is still alive, probably in Susa, uh, recording his final vision. Uh, then it just says, Zerubbabel goes to build the temple. The Samaritan opposition begins. And then 534, Cyrus, uh, his son Cambyses, is going to be the next king. Uh, he's preparing to invade Egypt. He, he, uh, he declares Cambyses to be the next king of the emperor. 529, 530, Cyrus dies in battle, has a great monument made for himself. Uh, Cambyses becomes the king. And then he invades Egypt, defeats Egypt, and then he disappears near Mount Carmel on his return back, and the whole empire is thrown into chaos because the emperor is dead. There's a fake king taking place, Pseudo-Smyrnus. We go through all that takes place. And so there's a period of chaos, and that's in 521. Darius sets up the throne, reestablishes authority, does a great job of leading the people of the empire, and that's when Haggai and Zechariah begin their ministry right there in the, in the midst of that recovery of the Persian Empire. And then you can read the rest of it coming on down. Uh, and it goes all the way down to Xerxes, and you've got Esther uh, coming. And finally, Xerxes is going to go to battle against the Greeks and be totally humiliated. Uh, but the Greeks are going to remember this, and that's going to be the inspiration for Alexander invading or part of the inspiration and burning Persepolis uh, to the ground when he gets there. But nonetheless, that's that time chart right there. Now let's go back to page one and chapters. This is just an overview of the book of Zechariah. Chapters one through six, 519 February. Uh, We're going to be a while there. We're going to read verses one through six tonight, which is back in October of 520. Then we'll go through these six or, or these eight visions. And there they're written down right there. Uh, there's a man among the myrtle trees. Uh, looks like they're in the Kidron Valley, among the myrtle trees. And the man appears to be the Lord, the second member of the Trinity. Uh, and it basically giving the indication that God is watching over history. Very similar to the way the book of Haggai ends. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, and then I'm going to uh, overthrow the thrones. And that's what you see in that first vision. Uh, in fact, the second vision, four horns and four horn cutters. There's going to see the horns of beasts. That means the powers like Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander, or whoever, Darius. And the horn cutters are going to go off and saw off the horns. In other words, these horns have risen up in power. But God is sending, saying, I'm sending people out. They're cutters. They're just there to cut down the horns. And they're going to be upsetting. Very thing that Haggai ended up saying, I'm going to overthrow the nations. Verse uh, C, or not verse C, but the third vision, is a measuring line. Jerusalem is going to be measured. And there's going to say, we've got to expand these walls. It's going to explode. 
where Haggai was talking about rebuilding the temple. The message was rebuild the temple. Zechariah is going to come alongside of that, and he's going to be talking about the activities going on in Jerusalem in 520. So he's supporting, and Ezra gives him credit for helping inspire the rebuilding of the temple. But Zechariah is going to be talking about not just rebuilding the temple, but rebuilding the culture, rebuilding the nation, building up the city, and preparing to get back in God's plan, and is looking way down the road to the future, in their future, but also the distant future, and how Israel is going to respond to the good shepherd by rejecting him, and how they're going to have to go through a period of repentance and a reconciliation, what we would say actually the time of being born again uh, before the king returns. And that's all in the book of Zechariah. It's coming up. Uh, the fourth vision is garments for the high priest. That includes a vision that has Satan standing accusing Joshua at the throne of God, saying, you can't bring these people back. I'm not sure exactly. We'll see, you know, read into it. I'm reading into it, but we'll read the actual text. But basically, Satan is accusing Joshua and the priesthood, says, you can't use these people. And Jesus, or the one on the throne, rebukes Satan and says, this is my chosen instrument. And he gives him new, says, get him some new clothes. And they take off the filthy garments. The word filthy, we'll talk about it. It means you're covered with human waste. It's like you're in a porta potty and someone tipped it over on you and all the waste fell on you. That's how Joshua is standing in front of the throne of the Lord. And Satan's making a big deal about it. And the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you. Give him some clean clothes. And they bring out a whole new wardrobe for Joshua. It's the restoration of the priesthood. And that's being said in 519. Uh, during this and so joshua's already active and it has been but it's kind of like that confirmation your past sins as a priest have been cleansed away and you are now back in position uh the flying okay the golden lampstand and two olive trees uh they're going to apparently be joshua the high priest and zerubbabel the governor and they're the anointed ones that are having oil pumped into them from an oil, olive tree that's producing the oil. And it's just like this eternal flow of anointing that's covering these. And this gets into a lot of things. What are, they talk, are we talking about the two witnesses in the, in the book of Revelation? Uh, does this play into that at all? But anyway, it's basically saying that this time Joshua and Zerubbabel, the priesthood and the, and the leadership, are anointed by the Lord. There's a flying scroll with a curse on it hanging over the land. Uh, and it says, if you break the covenant, you will be cursed. You're still under the covenant. Don't go there. Uh, there's a woman in a basket who is shoved back down. It seems to be the spirit of Babylon. Or a violation of the flying scroll with the curses. There's this woman that now wants to come out of this basket and kind of introduce them to the, the principles of Babylon, maybe in even the sense of the economy and the merchandise and the materialism of Babylon, if you could. If you, we'll look at it more closely when we get there. But the woman is shoved back down into the basket and a lead lid is put on it so she can't get out. And two stork-like birds pick her up and fly her back and it says take her back to babylon where they're going to build a temple for her. and so now they're taking her back to babylon it's almost like the seed of the babylonian empire is sent back over there or the seed of the antichrist empire again we'll look at it but anyway 
that woman is there in Jerusalem. She's shoved back in the basket. A lid of lead is put on her, meaning something's holding her back and she can't be released until it's removed. And then she'll come out. Kind of matches some other New Testament references. But she's sent away. Uh, and then four chariots. Uh, God's ultimate victory over the oppressive nations is won and judgment is brought to those nations with the four chariots going off the eighth vision, which just uh, obviously puts your mind right into the four horsemen of the book of Revelation. Is there a connection here somehow? And Zechariah is definitely going to have an influence on eschatology from these verses and especially later on. That's the first six verses. And that's all one. That's, you, want, you talk about a, a restless night of sleeping. You say, I had a strange dream last night. Try this. I had eight visions last night. I need to write them down. And that was that night for Zechariah in 519. And so you've got six chapters that just make up one night of dreams or visions that Zechariah is going to have. Zechariah chapter 7 and 8. Uh, the people are going to ask a question about fasting. Again, it's almost comical in a sense when we get there. They're going to, are we supposed to keep fasting? And the answer is going to basically be a rebuke. Meaning, hey, do we still need to fast because the temple was burnt? Because everything, we're kind of back on track now. And they're going to be, there's four basic messages in chapter 7 and 8. They're rebuked. There's a, uh, an offer of repentance. There's restoration and rejoicing in those. And that's, that's right here. Again, this book, we can look at it eschatologically and see what's going on that we're, as we're trying to unravel some things. But this book, just like the book of Mark we talked about last night, was written to the believers in Rome in 64 A.D., if we want to put some numbers on it. And then we can, we can glean from it, but that's who he was writing it for, for the Gentiles. This book was written to these people in 520, rebuilding the temple, and they're trying to figure out where do we fit. And Zechariah is basically telling them, uh, you need to repent because that is, you know, people always say there's no dumb questions. Well, you just asked a dumb question. Don't ask if we still have to fast. What do you mean, do we still have to fast? And they're rebuked and they're led towards repentance. Chapter 9 through 14 are going to be really when we get there. Now we're getting into some what we would say eschatological things that uh, we'd be more interested in than, than the people being rebuked, although we can learn from the rebukes also. The two oracles uh, re- revealing God's future uh, plans and that's chapters 9 through 14. The first, chapter 9 through 11, is going to be, and this is very interesting, it's going to be the anointed king is going to, Jesus, the Lord, the second member of the Trinity, the Messiah, the king is going to be rejected. Israel is going to reject their king, and because they've rejected their king, uh, there's going to be... Uh, uh, judgment on the contemporary nations around them is going to be discussed. There's going to be blessings for Israel, just like we're talking about here. There's going to be judgment. That's how it begins on the nations. The reestablishing of Judah. And then their king is going to come. The good shepherd is going to come to Israel, and they're going to reject it. So all these prophecies, talking about at the end of Haggai, uh, the nation's going to be shaken. Zerubbabel's going to be the signet ring. Uh, we're talking about the nation being established again. Meanwhile, the nations will be shaken and judged. So Judah's established. We're looking good. The nations are judged and they're in place. That's looking good. And the good shepherd's going to come. And Judah's going to reject him. I mean, that's exactly what we're leading up to. It's the Gospels. All this is being prepared for the Gospels. And when he comes, you'll say no. 
You're going to reject the good shepherd. And that's, that's the first oracle, chapter 9 through 11. And then chapters 12 through 14. Again, I'm summarizing here. Uh, th- those chapters, judgment on the nations and stuff, you can, you're going to be able to hear some uh, references in these verses about Alexander possibly. Uh, again, we'll have to wait and see. It's kind of touchy. What are we talking about when we read some of these passages of Scripture? But we'll look at it. Uh, then the rejected king is going to be enthroned in chapter 12 through 14. It's going to happen like this. First, Israel has to be restored. They're going to have to repent. They're going to be redeemed. That's when they mourn for him as for a lost son. They mourn for the one they pierced. And they mourn for him as... That, that's where these verses are coming in. They realize... Now, this is chapters... Uh, 9 and th- nine through 11, in a sense, have already taken place in our day. They were future for Zechariah, but that's taken place already in our day. That's the fulfillment of the Gospels, Jesus being crucified. But now what we're waiting for is chapter 12, 13, and 14, where Israel's going to recognize the king. Oh my gosh, we rejected the good shepherd. They're going to be restored. The fountain is open for them, and they're cleansed. And then the king is going to return the king returns and that's just the summary there's all kinds of details in there but israel's got to be israel's got to be restored and then the king is going to return and we're into the kingdom age right there now this israel being restored you can see paul talks about that that's why you can't say i mean the whole concept i mean again if you approach all of this from a different perspective i suppose it makes sense but from this perspective the concept that the church has replaced israel it's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense because you've got all these verses hanging out there that to have them make sense, all these verses have to, instead of Israel being restored, it has to become the church. And everything's got to be figure, become a figurative, a figure of speech. And it's easier just to leave these in context. And just like when Israel rejected the good shepherd, the message was taken to the nations, just like it was said in Genesis chapter 12, through Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. Isaiah's talking about it, and that's what's happening right now. We're between chapter 11 and chapter 12. All the nations are being blessed while Israel's rejected it. But before we can finish this, just like Paul says, if Israel's rejection means salvation, what will their acceptance mean except resurrection from the dead? So Paul, I've got, in, in my mind, again, you can judge me, in my mind, the way Paul reads this, verses chapters 9 through 11, Israel is going to reject their king, and if their rejection of the gospel means s- salvation for the Gentiles, what do you think is going to happen when Israel all of a sudden accepts the gospel? What, what, what better thing? It, it's it. It's done. It's the resurrection from the dead. And so I think he's actually reading it just, or, you know, these things would support the way he's reading it, if that makes sense. And so that's what we see coming up here in these verses or in these chapters. Now, on page, uh, page four, we're going to go ahead and look at um, the first chapters of, of, uh, Zach, or first verses of Zechariah. I'll first of all read them in the NIV. English Standard Version is on your notes, and then I'll make a few comments. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, I'll just read through this. I'll try to read this uh, without making any comments. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Idu. 
here's what he says. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. That's verse 2. That's all verse 2 is. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Therefore, tell the people of this generation, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 4, do not be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? And the prophets, do the prophets live forever? But did not my words and my decrees which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? In other words, there are three things happening there. Your forefathers and the prophets, and the prophets spoke my word against your forefathers. Now the forefathers are gone, the prophets are gone, but what's still here? My word. Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. So you can see several things taking place there. But it's basically establishing, I would just say, a perspective or a world view, if you would, at this point in history in 520. If you, if you can't wrap your mind around this in 520 B.C., you're going to miss the rest of this book. You must understand, the reason you are exiles coming back from Babylon was because your forefathers in this very place, in this very land, they sinned against me, they would not come back, I sent them my word through the prophets, and they would not listen, so I sent them into captivity and burnt this place down. That's why you are where you are at. You can say, well, maybe it was this, maybe, no. It was because they were disobedient, I spoke my word against them, I destroyed the place, and now you are recovering. Now we're going to start over. So just like I spoke to them, says, turn back to me. He says, now I'm telling you, turn back to me. Repent, turn back, so we can get this thing going. And that's taking place right, that's being said right in the middle as you know, of Haggai's message right there. A begin work on the temple. Don't be discouraged. Right after that, you've got Haggai or Zachariah stepping up and saying, you know why you're in this position. Your father's messed up and my word came against them. Now, don't be like them and get this thing done and turn back. Zachariah is going to be definitely be more concerned about morals and ethics and character and, and living righteously. than Not that Haggai dismissed that, Haggai's message was on getting the temple built. Zechariah is going to bring in that moral fabric back into the culture. Um, going over now to the, uh, the notes, uh, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idos, Idos, saying, again, we know the date, it's October 27th. Um, interestingly, it's dating, and again, they're, they're both are doing, Haggai and Zechariah both are doing this, they're dating this to not a king in Israel, not a leader in Israel, not an event in Israel, not a holy day in Israel, they're dating this to a Gentile king. They're dating it to the date of Darius, the Gentile ruler of the Persian Empire. In other words, this is clearly the days Daniel spoke were coming, or we're in, 
and Jesus referred to until the days of the Gentiles are over. They're in the days of the Gentiles. The days of the Gentiles began, we can say 586, and they will end when Jesus returns. Up until that time, Jesus says, the temple will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are over. And so in 70 AD, that was just a date within the age of the Gentiles because it began with Babylon, went to Persia, went to Greece. Well, yeah, but the Jews were on the Temple Mount. They had the priesthood functioning. Right, but who was ruling them? They were under the jurisdiction of Rome. That was the fourth beast that Daniel spoke about. So the days of the Gentiles began in 586. If you want, maybe you want to say 605, 597. But clearly by 586, and they're going to continue. And even today, the Temple Mount is still trampled on by Gentiles. The Jews have to have privilege or permission, all kinds of oppression. And that's going to continue until the days of the Gentiles are over. Now, as we look into eschatology... Uh, there is going to be that time where they're going to build the temple and have access to the Temple Mount. But that's them actually buying into a false treaty, a deceptive treaty with the Antichrist who is leading the age of the Gentiles at this very last moments in history. And the Jews in their deception are going to buy into it. And then the Antichrist will break the treaty and they're going to realize we're still in the age of the Gentiles because the Antichrist will let them build the temple and then he'll go sit in the temple and take over it after they've had their little moment for three and a half years. And then they're completely confused. That's when they're completely confused. And that's when Zechariah later on, that's when they're going to realize what they've done. They've got, to have, they've got to have an opportunity, and they've had several, to accept uh, the Messiah that they want. Because they've rejected the right true Messiah... God is allowing them in many different cases to find a Messiah. The Bar Kokhba revolts of 532, uh, they found a Messiah that was going to lead them against the Romans. And he led them to their overthrow again. They had Messiahs in 70 AD or 66 AD. Eventually they're going to find the ultimate false Messiah, the Antichrist, and side with him. And so that will still be during the days of the Gentiles, even though it looks like uh, they're back in control. Uh, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord, there's the word Yahweh, came to the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophet, but I think we can also consider him a priest. And I'll show you that. But he is a prophet. He's mentioned along with Haggai in the book of Ezra uh, as being very influential during the days of the temple. And I've got those verses written down. We've already seen one of them in Ezra before we jumped into the prophets. And this is the verse that led us into Haggai and Zechariah. Ezra chapter 5 verse 1. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah the son of Idu prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. So there you've got a reference to Zechariah the son of Idu. Now just watch this. Zechariah uh, how do you spell Barakiah? I better take a look. Barakiah B. Oh, good, I'm close. Barakiah. Kaya. Is that still close? I'm going to put another H in there, it looks like. There we go. Barakiah. And then you've got I do. Now, again, you're going to freak out. It's like, wait a minute. Looks like it's, it's, this must be wrong. Uh, and you should be critical. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah. That's Ezra 5.1. Ezra 6.14. 
and the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Idu. They finished their building by decree of God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. That's a great verse. We haven't got to that verse yet in Ezra. But right there it says the Jews built and they prospered. Now remember that 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 a third message of Haggai was from December 18th on the Jews are going to be blessed. And Ezra records that. At, at, there's a point where all of a sudden the Jews just got started being blessed because they were being obedient. And they finished the building because two groups or two peoples or leaders decreed it. One, the God of Israel decreed it, but so did Cyrus, and he's going to decree it. This is, this is, this is actually literal. Cyrus decrees it, Cambyses just let it slide, but Darius is going to come along and support it. And finally, later on, Artaxerxes is going to be gone too. And this is where they're going to, in Nehemiah's day, they're going to begin to examine uh, the text. Did, was this really a decree? So three, Cyrus will decree it. They're going to lose track of it. Darius is going to be approached with lawsuits, and he's going to say, build it. It's going to get lost again through all this time period. And then Nehemiah wants to rebuild it. He works for Artaxerxes. He wants to rebuild the wall. And then they're going to have some challenges. And Artaxerxes just says, it was written by decree by Cyrus. I've got the document. Build it. And this right here, when Daniel talks about from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, there's going to be 77s. You know the verse, from the issuing of the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, there'll be 77s or 490 years in in the 483rd year right there the messiah will be cut off and have nothing he's going to come but not get his kingdom he's going to have to wait for seven more years and that's what we're waiting for but now the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild jerusalem you've got three dates you've got 538 you've got sometime during darius's reign or you got Artaxerxes' reign where he issues the decree. And if you go from this right here, you can even see the numbers right here. 464 and 483, that puts you right about, just, just the rough math, puts you right about the time of the crucifixion. So if you put this Artaxerxes 464 and add you know, 30 years to it, you're going to be very close to the beginning of Jesus' ministry or the end of Jesus' ministry. So it's just interesting right there, that, and we'll go to that verse eventually in Ezra, that God decreed the building of the temple, but so did Cyrus, so did Darius, and so did Artaxerxes, because they had to say it three times to get it done. So that's the mention of Zechariah in the book of, of Ezra. And now we go back to Zechariah 1.1, where it says, Zechariah was the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu. And I've got this written down on the next page. Yes, page page 5.5 at the top. Um, the Hebrew word son, it, it's, not, it's not like they've made a mistake. The Hebrew word son can mean descendant. It can mean the son of a man, or it can mean the descendant of someone. And you want a simple example? Jesus was known as the son of David. I mean, Jesus wasn't the son of David. He was a descendant, which there you have it. He was a descendant. So, in, in the book of Zechariah, it introduces him as the son of his father, who was the son of Zechariah's grandfather. Meaning, the, in Ezra, they skip his father 
which gives the impression people knew who this was. Just like you may not know everybody between David and Jesus, but Jesus, he's the son of David. It's, then there's a bunch of people in between. And that leads us to, uh, we can go to Nehemiah chapter 4, excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 4. And during Nehemiah's time, it's interesting, during this time period, again, this is too far into the future to be exactly, it's 446, 445 right here. You can see that's getting about 60 years too far in front. But there was a, uh, a priest who was the head of the clan named uh, uh, Idu. And then in j- the same chapter, the one who replaced Idu is one named Zechariah, who's the head of that priestly clan. So from that information, there was an Idu and a, a Zechariah who followed Idu in this time period, or at least as mentioned. Well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. He's referenced in. Excuse me. He's referenced in Nehemiah. I would have to go back and look because I believe that may be a genealogy account that would put it back into this time period right here after, you know, right in here. And I'd have to go back and look at that. The point being, and the, and the commentators were saying, that could be the same Zechariah, which means his grandfather was the leader of his priestly clan, and after him, Zechariah replaced his grandfather as the leader of his priestly clan, which makes Zechariah a priest, which I think is pretty solid because of his involvement in the temple and the things that he's going to be talking about which makes him a leader which explains why Zechariah the the father or the son of Idu who was a recognized high priest so I would consider I'm going to consider Zechariah was a prophet and Zechariah was a priest and was not just a priest but was a leader of the priest during his time period and that would match I got some written down here other prophet priest if you want to start with moses of the tribe of levi samuel was a priest jeremiah was a priest ezekiel was a priest and there's another zachariah son of jehoiada at the end of the old testament that was a priest so that is the the zachariah we're talking about and chapter 1 verse 2 the very first words like i said this establishes uh the whole attitude of the book the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Basically, in, in the way I look at it, if you can't wrap your mind around that, if you're trying to find some other explanation on why you're here in Jerusalem in 520 or 5, yeah, 520 doing these, it's like, then you're not going to be able to track with this. You are recovering from discipline from the Lord. The Lord was in charge of your discipline. It wasn't because Nebuchadnezzar got too strong. It wasn't because Egypt failed. It wasn't... It was the Lord because of your sin. Egypt failed because you were sinning. Nebuchadnezzar was brought up because you were sinning. And now you're in this position of recovery. So the Lord, and here, uh, uh, point two, this understanding is found, I, I made this is too wordy. This understanding as foundational worldview in 520 is the absolute necessity. If they do not get this, then they are doomed. If they understand and accept this truth, then they can begin the process of advancing in God's plan. And do note right there, I've got the Hebrew written out there. I'll read it backwards. Has been angry, Yahweh, with your fathers, very. That's what the Hebrew says. Uh, 
and basically has been angry very, or some commentators say literal translation would, Yahweh has been angry with an anger at your forefathers. I mean, it's like it's the strongest reference. I mean, he burned his own temple. So, I mean, you can't imagine anything more angry. And he was angry at them. Now, the reason for saying that, chapter 1, verse 3, Therefore, say to them, say to the people of 520. Now, this is, this is going to get, uh, we'll say 586, the people of 586 and before, and the people of 520 uh, now. So, this is the contrary. This is a group of people. This is what God said. This is what happened. Now this is you. And God is going to say the same thing. Basically, he said to these people through Jeremiah and the other prophets, we can go through the whole list, uh, stop, turn back, come back to me. Turn back. But they did not. And so they were destroyed. Now, in 520, God is saying, I'm telling you, turn to me and I will bless you. Now remember when this is taking place. This is taking place right after he t- Haggai says, do not be discouraged. It looks small in your eyes, but it's going to amount to something. And then the next message in December was, from this day forward, you're going to be blessed. In Haggai's book, it's because you're building the temple, you're going to be blessed. But before, between those messages, this chapter, uh, Zachariah is presenting this. Your parents, your forefathers were destroyed because I was angry. I told them to turn back. They would, would not. Now I'm telling you, turn to me and let's move forward. And apparently they are going to. And here it goes on like this. Therefore say to them in 520 B.C., Thus declares the Lord of hosts, again, Yahweh of the angelic armies, the, the rulers in the heavenly places. And that would be Lord of hosts, uh, you don't need, just need to think of good angels. That's every angelic being is, uh, there's no doubt about it, every angelic being, every ruler and authority is under Yahweh. Even in the New Testament, they're under Christ. All rulers and authority are under Christ. Thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord. Now he's saying this to these people in 520. Return to me, says Yahweh of hosts, and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. So his basic message is, you've returned to Jerusalem, you've returned to your homeland, now return to me, and I'll return to you. Chapter uh, 1, verse 4, it says, uh, Do not be like your fathers. Return to me, and I'll return to you. Do not be like these people, 586 and before. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried. So Zechariah is a prophet right here. And he's saying in 520, return to me and I'll return to you. Do not be like the people before who also had prophets. Like you've got a prophet like Zechariah and Haggai. They had prophets who cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts. The same thing. The Lord of hosts, the Yahweh of the armies of heaven, they said the same thing. The Lord of hosts didn't do them any good. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. 
He's saying the same thing. Here he says, return to me and I'll return to you. The, the prophet says, the, Yahweh of the host says, return from your evil ways, from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me. They stoned the prophets. They rejected the prophets. They were stoning, rejecting the Lord. They did not return to me. Now, the whole point. I'm saying to you in 520, the same thing I said to them. They're gone. I was very angry. I was angry with anger at them. That's why they're not here anymore. That's why you're trying to recover. Now I say to you, it's your turn. Turn to me. Then he asked the question, rhetorical. Your fathers, your fathers, where are they? Where are they now? They're gone. Even the prophets, the prophets who spoke the word to them, where's the prophets? They're gone. All, this whole, all these people are gone. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servant, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? But what I said controlled history, wiped them out, and now we come down to here. Here you are. Here the prophets are. Now here's my word. Eventually these people are going to be gone. These prophets are going to be gone. But what I say, when I say I'm going to bless you, that word is going to have it's going to determine history and that's what god is going to do in this book he's going to say you people are important i'm going to do this you can come with me but i'm going to speak what's going to happen soon you'll be gone the prophets will be gone but just like my word here happened continued to hear it's going to progress all the way through history again his point is but my words and my statutes which i commanded my servants the prophets did they not overtake your fathers so they repented and said. Now, so they repent. Now, you've got to figure out well, who. So they repented. Is he talking about these people in captivity with Ezekiel and Daniel? Did they eventually say, ah, we were wrong? It says, so they repented. Let's say the people of 586 after they'd lost everything. Now, you don't see that in the book of Jeremiah. They're rebellious all the way to, until they're in Egypt. But at some point, so they repented and says, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. In other words, when they saw the words take place, they realized, we're going to leave, the prophets are gone, but God's word was right. He's doing exactly what he says, and they repented and came back. Or he's using that as an example for these people. Now you're in a position, if you want my good blessing to come, or if you want to stay and do, do your own, own thing, your own way, you'll have the disaster. Uh, but my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servant, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented, it would appear he's talking about them, and said, as the Lord of hosts proposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. And that is... Uh, the end of of that section right there and that's kind of how it begins meaning they knew they even in their defeat they realized his words were true now you have a choice and a chance to do this and that introduces the book it's almost like a call to repentance a call to get right and it comes between Haggai's do not be discouraged and you are now going to be blessed that's where that takes place right there in that section and then when we come back next week uh we're going to begin looking uh 
verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7, on the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, notice the dating, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Idu. During the night I had a vision, and there before me was a man riding a red horse. And uh, again, we'll, we'll read through that and get started on that. And now they're going to be some, it's going to be, in a sense, instructional visions he's going to have that he's going to share with the people and keep them just like Zechariah was told a message by Haggai that you're a signet ring these people are being inundated in 520 and 519 with messages from the prophet saying you're in the right place I'm going to bless you I'm going to shake the nations and form them or everything's going to be formed around you so I can work my plan what I, I use the nations to destroy Jerusalem, just like my word says. Now my word is saying, I'm going to bless you and shake the nations around you to help build you up. And again, uh, that, we'll go through that and see those things. It's just interesting here in chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 6, it comes down to uh, what God is saying that's, that's holding this whole thing together is my word. I spoke it and it's, it's happening. And again, that's the importance of the word that we have here tonight is is god has spoken things he's controlling history and as we learn this word there's things that are being shaken there's people that are coming and going but god's word that he has spoken and that is in our lives is continuing to produce continue to manifest and we're not even we're not even finished yet we're not we got we're not even close in the sense of the finish line we've got all of eternity to to attain to and enjoy the the results of god's word being spoken remember in the very beginning god spoke and the universe was created, and, and this, it's, it's His Word. Everything comes back to His Word, uh, and God is telling them, it, it, if I speak it, it's, it's going to take place. So get in line and start wa- working with me so that my Word will be cooperate, cooperating with you or you'll be cooperating with the Word. I'll pray, and we'll be done. Father, we do thank You for the chance to look into Your Word. We thank You for the chance to hear it and ask again that we would hold your word above all the things we see in the world that we would honor that we'd respect it and allow it to transform our lives to bring us in line with you your plan your purpose and what you're doing in history and doing with our lives we do again thank you for the chance to read these things and ask again that we would fulfill the plans you have for us at this time in history in jesus name we pray amen thank you for being here